Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today, myself, Sarah, and Riki Hayashi are talking about Rebels Season 1, Episodes 10, 11, and 12. We're going to get into all that and more after a commercial break we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. And I want to just first start by saying, and I want to first just start by saying, we often talk about how important the um, words and the feedback from the fans is. And as part of that, you know, we had this great conversation last time about different perspectives on the idea of Hayden Christensen returning to the Star Wars universe in the Ahsoka TV show. And so I put out a poll on both Facebook and Twitter about getting a sense of what people thought. And it seems that overwhelmingly, uh, I'm in the very significant minority in terms of not being excited about this. So... Clearly, what we've learned here is that none of you know anything, and I don't want any more fan <laughs> feedback. Uh, what, kidding, 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 kidding. I, I, I'm very happy to hear this. Um, I was definitely surprised, because I certainly have known a lot of people who share my thoughts, but clearly I'm in a little anti-Hayden bubble, and I'm, I'm really glad to know that people are excited about this, because it's funny, because I had like eight comments that were kind of like what you were saying, Riki, of, you know, versions of, well, let's give him another chance. Like, maybe he was bad directing and bad writing. And then one person was like, well, he was pretty bad in everything else he's been in since then. But, you know, still mostly positive. So I, I am trying to change my position to one of hope, hopeful optimism. I maybe have just been holding on to my negative thoughts too long, and we'll just see what happens. So thank you, though, so much to the fans who answered that post, who uh, sent in feedback, who answered the poll, because we really love stuff like that. So thank you so much. Yeah, I'm su- I'm honestly surprised as well. I figured most people would be agreeing with you, Matthew. Um, that, that Ricky and I would be in the minority of the, what did Hayden Christian stands? Is that what you call mm-hmm. You dub them, Ricky? I, I think, I think it may be that us grumpy old men who grew up with James Earl Jones, Vader are both like the ones who are super not excited about this and also too old to use, you know, weird technology like mm. Twitter polls. Mm. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the other side of it. Like James Earl Jones as Vader, uh, in... Uh, Rogue One was honestly mm. like a little off for me and it just felt like it, it, you know his time as Vader should be over like as mm. iconic as he is he's just so much older now and his voice is just so different James O. Jones because I, I thought it was someone else oh no his no his voice was yeah his voice was provided by James O. Jones so yeah I, I, I think it's just the awful writing there in that like you know Vader making a pun but yeah you could be right Um, you, you could could entirely be right so well, see, his voice, I mean, just sounded different because he's he's older. Like, and I, it was yeah. kind of, I guess, disappointing for me. Yeah, um, that's fair. And, I, and and that's why, like, nothing against James Earl Jones. Like, he's so iconic. Mm. He's yeah. amazing. But you know, time maybe, makes fools of us all. Yeah, like it's it's time to move on. That's totally fair. And, and to be clear, like I made the comment about James Earl Jones in terms of setting the standard. I, I, as I said last week. Uh, last time we discussed this, I, it's not that I would want James Earl Jones in the Ahsoka show. Mm. It's that if we're getting Anakin, I think we've had a very good actor play Anakin, Matt Lanter. And I, I'm becoming, you know, there's more and more talk about letting people who are the voice actors be the live action actors. And I think since Matt Lanter did such a better job of Anakin, like, let him be the role. But either way, that, that's, that, that was all from last week. We can move on. Um, <laughs> I, but yeah, again, fans, I'm, I'm, I am... I haven't been convinced, but I've been convinced to go into it with a much more open mind because maybe a whole bunch of people are seeing stuff that I didn't see. So we'll see. Um, anyway, let's talk about episode 10, Path of the Jedi. Uh, so we have three, so each one of us can read one summary. Does someone want to jump in on this one or should I take it? 
That sounds like it's a you. All right, so I'll take this first one as the summary. Uh, episode 10, Path of the Jedi. Concerned with, Ez- concerned with Ezra's previous display of the dark side against the Inquisitor, Kanan brings him to a hidden Jedi temple on Lothal to be tested for his readiness in Jedi training. While Kanan stays behind, Ezra makes his way through the temple alone and is faced with a series of visions showing the Inquisitor killing Kanan and the rest of the ghost crew. After seeing through the illusions, Ezra is guided by the disembodied voice of Jedi Master Yoda, who helps him admit his fear of being alone again. Kanan also speaks with Yoda about his own ability to teach Ezra. Yoda leads Ezra to a kyber crystal, which he uses to build his own lightsaber. So yeah, what would you all think of this episode? Well, speaking of iconic voices, <laughs> yes. we get Frank Oz as Yoda. Always delightful. Mm-hmm. I, I did think he was sounding a little bit more like Grover in this, which is, you know, fair. That's another role he plays quite a lot of. But yeah, it was great to hear, like, the actual person being Yoda. Yeah. Um, I liked I liked seeing a different take on the kyber crystal ritual mm-hmm. um, away from... Snow planet word brain. Hoth. Oh no, nope, not Hoth. Yeah, no, the, the the planet yeah, the planet we're in Clone Wars where Yoda takes the kids. At this point in the history of Star Wars, the Empire is basically rounding up every Kyber crystal they can get their hands on to try right. to power the Death Star. So yeah, like Kyber crystals are gonna be in short supply and I I don't know why this exists here but it does mm-hmm. so, and and yeah i i just I, I i just like this episode because it has so much to say about the jedi i feel like mm-hmm. and also just the use of the inquisitor you know like fake mind mind inquisitor in, in the representation of the dark side was really fantastic yeah, I thought this was such a nice way of tying together, you know, Luke's journey to becoming a Jedi with Yoda in the original movies to some of the stuff that we saw in the Clone Wars uh, to this moment now for Ezra. And um, Sarah, did you want to say something about the, the planet that they went to? Because, uh, yeah, the, the, this episode is very evocative of something from the Clone Wars that I know you were a big fan of when Yoda took a bunch of kids to a nice planet. Yeah, um, is Ilium is the planet. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I like seeing that there, the sort of ritual of the kids going and conquering their fears and finding their kyber crystals. And I like that we get that in an entirely different temple. Um, yeah. because like it, it, it was sort of this lore that like, that was the only place that kyber crystals were, but then Ezra ends up finding one here. So like Riki was saying, the idea of having kyber crystals all across the galaxy is, is is nice and comforting and sort of this like return to form yeah and i think really evocative of how the jedi order jedi religion needs to sort of like shift and adapt in the new empire yeah no i think it's very true especially because and we've been talking about this a bunch but a lot of the things that Ezra's being taught is stuff that, you know, during the Clone Wars era, the Jedi were, were specifically taught not to. You know, a lot of it's about trusting your feelings and learning to, which, which is somewhat a part of the, the Jedi Order in, in the earlier movies. But, you know, it, it's once again, we're seeing Kanan and Ezra. They both want to, like, honor the past, especially Kanan clearly does, but he's also kind of going his own way in a mm-hmm. way that I really appreciate. I also like that we get a sort of return to form for Yoda. Um, mm-hmm. Being 
in this role of, of sort of guide and mentor instead of military leader, which he had been for right. most of the Clone Wars. Which, which leads to a question I wanted to ask. How do you think it is that Yoda is here? Is it that, like, Yoda on Dantooine... I'm sorry. Is it that Yoda on Dagobah is kind of aware of this and projecting himself? Because what I thought... Is, you know, we've established that there are these holocrons where... This is more in the books, but I think we've seen it at least somewhat on screen, where, like, the essence of a Force user can be captured and, and not, like, stolen, but, like, can be copied into a holocron and... and it's a different entity now. It's like a copy, but it's but it's based. On, it's kind of like a um, what you find like a holodeck version of Yoda. So that, it, so so basically, like, is Yoda on Dagobah involved in this, or is this like the the ho- the hologram version of of Yoda? Yes, this is Yoda. I, I don't know what else to say. Um, the the fact that he is Yoda is represented within the temple. Not by like a vision of Yoda himself, but like the the light sprites mm-hmm. that we saw previously in season six when Yoda goes on his quest to uh, f- discover the identity of Darcidius. Uh, we see the sprites on Dagobah, like as a representation of Qui Gon Jinn, and that's how right. Qui Gon communicates with Yoda. So my belief would be that the sprites are somehow connecting this temple to yoda yeah but when that's when yoda goes to Qui-Gon. yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say and yoda's not dead yet but he has learned how to communicate with qui-gon through the force ghost yeah so i the, guess to the me sprites represent that yeah yeah I, I i guess that's certainly a possible reading i i i definitely think it's more the like the that this is like the holodeck version of him if for nothing else then if Yoda knows that there are Jedi who escaped the um, uh, Order 66 and he knows that new Jedi like Ezra are coming about, for, for me then, for him to think that Luke or possibly Luke and Leia are the only two left in the galaxy, as he says in Empire and then even more soon Return of the Jedi, doesn't make any sense. Mm. So I, I kind of feel like it has to be the holo- hologram version uh, or else, like, it doesn't fit. But but you may it also be, be that they just didn't kind of think of that plot thing and, and that it is supposed to really be Yoda projecting himself. Yeah, I think on my first watch, I just thought it was Force Ghost Yoda. And it wasn't until this second watch that I was like, wait a minute, Yoda's still alive at this point. So, who, yeah, I don't know. W- one of the things I thought was cool was the, um, we were talking about how this is, this is, uh, uh, this is a throwback to that uh, Clone Wars episode one of the things that they do in the Clone Wars episode is that they tell the kids you have 60 minutes and if you don't get out by then, the ice will like freeze you in and you'll die. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the episode, they're like, come on, guys, we're not going to kill kids to help you figure this out. Like, um, and it's Yoda kind of being playful. And here, Kanan tells Ezra that if Ezra doesn't um, find it, if Ezra doesn't do what he needs to do, and so Ezra gets lost in here, not only will Ezra die, but that Kanan will die because Kanan will just wait forever and he'll be kind of trapped as well. And he, and he says it as this like epic sign of like, I trust you, you trust me, we both trust the force. But I, I have to believe that this is again them kind of pulling his leg, right? Like that Kanan wouldn't actually die there. I know we see a dead body, but it just it, it just seems like such a dumb way to help train new people. Yeah, like I mean, I agree with you, but also there, there are full on skeletons hanging out. At the gate there. So, yeah, I mm-hmm. 
I'm not really, I feel like Kanan wouldn't, right? If Ezra got stuck in there, Kanan would probably try and find a way to go get him and then give up and go back to the ghost because like, mm-hmm. but he's not the most Jedi of Jedi. Yeah, as but we... the temple only opened because both master of them. and apprentice. Mm, true, true. Right. So he might just be stuck in there yeah. whether he wants yeah. to be or not. Yeah. That's, that's the implication of the skeletons. That's fair. Right. For sure. Yeah, it could be. I, I think if we didn't have that scene of Yoda, like, telling the kids that they'd freeze if they didn't get out, and then it clearly being like, no, of course not. I, I, I would, I, if it wasn't for that, I would 100% believe it. Because of that, I'm a little suspicious. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there are literal dead bodies there, so maybe that's what we're being told. Yeah. And it, and it would be a good way, in theory, to keep the Sith out, because, mm-hmm. like, a Sith master and an apprentice would not be like in tune with each other right to cooperate right. to open this temple yeah if, right. if that is truly what's needed and it might be yeah. like an exclusive this to this low fall temple thing um especially because like uh kanan seems to imply that the empire knows about this location on low fall and they just are incapable of opening it mm. um so yeah that this idea of like master and apprentice are both needed to open this door might be this temple specifically, whereas on Ilum, right. it is just like the ice will melt, but also will come and get you. Don't worry. We're capable of melting ice. That's right. not a, a thing that's keeping you out. So, so let's talk about what Ezra is actually learning. And, and before that, let's kind of back up a bit and talk about like um, we see that Ezra is kind of not taking things quite as seriously as Kanan wants. He's kind of being late for things. And Kanan is really being a stickler for rules. Um, and, and Kanan is saying, like, trust yourself, trust the force. But but he's also kind of saying, like, he doesn't think Ezra's ready to be a Jedi. Um, what do you think of kind of Kanan's perspective in all this and why Kanan wants to take him to to be tested now? Well, I don't think Ezra is ready. I agree with Kanan. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Kanan, Kanan also isn't ready, though, right? Like, Kanan is Absolutely. not ready to be yeah. a teacher, and he's, like, full-on acknowledged this multiple times. So I think... It, it's part of that like and i think that's why kanan's such a stickler for the rules because he needs the rules just as much as ezra does right yeah i think it makes a lot of sense and it's um i've said this before many times but i i always wish i knew more about how much the rest of the world knows about what happened to anakin skywalker and, and how where darth vader came from and, and clearly from other media we know that like most of the the, the civilian world doesn't know but like you know, would, you know, Kanan would have known Anakin Skywalker, at, you know, growing up as a Padawan. Does he have any idea? Because, you know, I feel like we have just had the gold standard of bad mentoring in terms of, like, where Anakin turning to the dark side. And, and yes, I wonder if that's it all in his head. Because you're right, the, the stickler for the rules thing is... And I really like that in this episode we see Yoda... Not only challenging Ezra to face his fears, but but basically challenging Kanan as well. Um, you know, him talking to Ezra, it's all about like you don't trust yourself to to be the Jedi yet, and and you should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right, like the same thing to Kanan. You don't trust yourself to be the master yet, and you should. Right. Yeah. So so let's now go to Ezra. What what do you think of the the fears that we see of him? Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting because we just had this arc of exploring Ezra being alone for eight years, right? Totally on his own, totally fending for himself. And now it seems like his deepest fears revolve around being alone again, right? Being taken away from this newfound family. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems super real, right? Really identifiable. Yeah. To me, I get kind of two things. One is that the, the fear of being alone, but the other is the fear that it'll be his fault. You know, mm-hmm. that because he's not good enough, Canaan will die. And that, you know, which is already set up later when he when he kind of has the kind of not so great ideas of why he wants to be a Jedi. And he says, so I won't be helpless. You know, it, it really struck me that in all these scenes, part of what we see is his friends dying and he's helpless to stop it. Yeah. And that's probably also hearkening back to his parents a bit, right? Because he was like mm-hmm. seven when his parents died um, or mysteriously disappeared. Um and, and yeah, like he literally was helpless. He was a kid. There's nothing he could have done to stop it. But there's probably still blame and guilt that he feels. Like maybe he could have done something, mm-hmm. right? I feel like your your parents being like mysteried away in the middle of the night is not something you get over quick. That, there's a little PTSD from that. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Well, there's also a, a generational kind of emotional fracture within the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Right, people like Kanan were Padawans. They were really young when Order sixty six happened, and they literally watched their masters get struck down by the clones. Right, right? like these are the most of the survivors that we find in Star Wars lore were these kids because the, all the frontline Jedi were targeted. Right, and it was the kids. And, and we have literally escaped. seen Kanan watch his master get struck down in the Bad Batch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, that's when, I mean, Kanan was, like, Ezra's age now when that happened, basically. Maybe a little bit older, but, like, not much. For sure. Yeah, I think it's really interesting the way they set it up. I mean, especially when Kanan first comes in, I I at first didn't realize that it was the projection. And I thought that was a really brilliant way of doing it, that, Mm -hmm. um, you know... Ezra so believes that Kanan won't trust him and will follow him in that, of course, it's what his subconscious would conjure up. But we in the audience believe it would happen because it is like, you know, to me, that was just such a great way of melding Ezra's experience, Ezra's expectations of the audiences. Yeah, totally. It's I mean, again, it's hard to like harken back to what I thought at my first watch through versus now, because obviously, like when he came in the second time, I knew it wasn't actually Kanan. Right. And I'm trying to think back, like, did I think it was Kanan the first time? But yeah, you're right. Like, it, it totally seems in character. But also, yeah, you, like you say, this fear that Kanan doesn't believe in him. And because Kanan doesn't believe in him, that's what's going to, like, he's he's going to let him down. And that's what's going to get his friends and family hurt, killed. Yeah. Right. For, for me... Think... Sorry. No, you go ahead. So for me... This relationship between Kanan and Ezra is is so refreshing because mm. there's much more balance between the Master and the Apprentice than, than most of the others that we've seen in Star yeah. Wars. And often because of that imbalance, there there's this problem where the students trust the Master implicitly, right? Because, oh, you're the Jedi Master, I have to do everything that you say. And then that often is used to lead to the downfall of of that relationship. You know, we saw that with like Ben Solo and Luke Skywalker. Mm. And and so here we have a relationship between master and apprentice where both acknowledge each other's faults and they're helping each other to be the best that they can be. And and that's really one of my favorite parts about this show and about these two characters. 
Yeah. It reminds me a lot of um, Anakin and Ahsoka's relationship, like, in a sense. Even though, like, mm-hmm. I think Ahsoka was a little more indoctrinated, I guess, than, than Ezra. Yeah. But, yeah, this sort of, the master admitting to fault, the master not being perfect, I think. Yeah, and they would act, they would have playful conversations with each other about, mm-hmm. like, well, you never follow the rules. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, like, yeah. I think, I think that's great insight from both of you. You know, I think Anakin treated Ahsoka with a level of respect and deference, deference that we never saw from others. Um, you know, even when Ben, you know, even when Obi Wan could acknowledge that Anakin was better at him at stuff like flying, it was always in this kind of like underhanded comment kind of way of like, well, you know, you're better at the stuff that isn't really as important to being a Jedi or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The other thing I was going to say is that I, I think. The thing that ties all this together for in terms of Ezra's fears is that he's afraid of being alone and he's also now really afraid of, of his failure hurting others. This, I think, is, is, is the literal flip side of being alone because when you're alone, you know, this is something people talk about a lot if they've gone through, like, hard things and they don't want people to connect to them. It's in part this fear of, like, I don't want, you to, I don't want to let you in because I could let you down one day. I could fail. I could hurt you. And, and often it's kind of an emotional hurt, but, but for Ezra, I think it's a very real thing, you know? He doesn't want to be alone, but kind of the price of being with people is the feeling of responsibility that if he screws up, they could get hurt or get killed, and he's just really wrestling with that. Mm-hmm. And even, like, beyond that, them getting hurt and killed is them abandoning him again, right? Whether it's his fault right. or not. Um, so that I think, yeah, there's this really deep-seated fear of being alone, which, like... I don't know, super relatable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think, again, like, that goes also to the master and apprentice relationship where Kanan ha- has to, re- well, he does. He realizes he cannot stand up to the Inquisitor one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Like, he's yeah. just inferior in his force power or in his, his swordsmanship. And, and so he has to acknowledge that he needs Ezra in order to be able to stand right. against the stronger foe. And I think that's so important, especially in terms of what it is that Ezra has to finally do to face his fear, which he literally has to stand there while the Inquisitor attacks him. Because I think one of the things that we've seen is, up till now, every time they face the Inquisitor, both Ezra and Kanan would act as though Ezra's not ready to fight. Hmm. And so... Kanan would be like, no, 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 don't join in. You're not ready. And Ezra would kind of crouch back in fear and, and not try to engage. And yeah, I, I, I definitely think about it in terms of Ezra, but I think you're right. I, I hadn't even thought of that in terms of Kanan, but you're right that both of them are having to realize Ezra has to stop being afraid of the Inquisitor. He has to join the fight. And that's why that that's the moment that he overcomes his fear. Yeah. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so let's go to, like, the other kind of big thing that happens in this episode. Uh, and I will just say, like, it's it's funny. Normally in an episode like this, we'd have a B-plot with some of the other characters. I'm so glad we don't because mm-hmm. I think this has so much uh, impact that we really need to stick with them. But there's a great scene now where Ezra, where Yoda is now questioning Ezra some and is questioning him about why he wants to be a Jedi. And, and, and Ezra's first response is that he, he wants power. He wants to not be helpless. And... It's just this wonderful way, I think, of showing like the little bit of temptation of the dark side because, you know, he wants power for the best of reasons. He doesn't want to be helpless. He wants to protect people. But then his anger at the Empire comes out. He wants revenge. He wants to get back at them for all they did to him. 
Um, and Yoda, of course, immediately sees this. You know, there's anger and there's fear inside of him. What, what's your what's your take on on what we learn about Ezra in that moment? I mean, that was the downfall of Anakin, right? Yeah, was that he turned to the dark side because he wanted the power to protect uh, right. Padme from dying. Right. He wanted the power to protect the Republic. Right, and, and, and if he downfall. couldn't, <laughs> like with his mother, he wanted the power to punish the people who hurt, yeah. who killed mm-hmm. his, the people who, who he loved. Yeah. I mean, it's with great power comes great responsibility. Is that it? There's also, I feel like, something in Lord of the Rings as well, with like this ultimate power corrupts. Um, and I think like he's had his little taste of the dark side, right? Last episode, mm-hmm. um, and with all these sort of fears and anxieties about, you know, being alone uh, and wanting to protect people wanting to be able to hold his own in a fight, it seems supernatural or not supernatural, but very natural that this is his reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And and I like, though, that here, unlike what we see later from Yoda with Luke, and certainly unlike what we saw with Anakin, Yoda points this out and kind of wants him to see that this is not a good reason to want to be a Jedi. But there's never a moment of like, okay, well, if you feel that, go away, I can't train you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, to me, it feels much more like, okay, you're starting on this path. Those feelings you have are a natural part of this path, but we're going to have to help you not get lost to them. Yeah. It feels like Yoda's learned from his mistakes instead of just being like, shut it down, shut it all down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then he he's... goes back to them with Luke, but eh, it's a different story. <laughs> well, yeah, to, ret- to... to retcon a little, I mean, with Luke, he's specifically dealing with Anakin's son, right? And That's I think very true. That that probably brings up more personal feelings for him of his own failures to recognize what happened with Anakin and to stop it. Right. And Luke is older than Ezra is. And Ezra has Kanan with him right there. Whereas all Luke can do, like Luke can go back to Yoda, but Luke can't go through the world with Yoda the way mm-hmm. Ezra can with, with Kanan. Yeah. Yeah. And Luke only has Obi-Wan for like a week at best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the in the cave on Dagobah, like, I believe Yoda says something like he has much anger, like his father, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's yeah, that because that's the whole point is that that's Luke's fear is that he will turn into his father. Um. So the last thing I just want to mention about the episode, and then we can wrap up and and get to the next one, is so he gets the Kyber crystal, and then he we kind of skip forward a couple of weeks to him showing off his new lightsaber. And it's got a handguard, you know, it's, it's different. And, and Kanan himself says like that, that I haven't seen that before, but that's just like you to do things kind of differently. Yeah. It reminds me of a staple gun. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> but it also feels like there's almost like influence from the Inquisitor's lightsaber. Yeah. I think so. Definitely. It, it does. It, it's square instead of round, but it does look to me like it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Well, if you've only seen two lightsabers. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> And also, like, if you can't beat him, join him kind of thing, right? Like, Yeah. It, it's a kind of, again, it's the facing of the fear because it's the, I'm going to do something like yours, but I'm still going to make it my own. Mm-hmm. So, cool. All right. Uh, let's move on to episode 11, Idiot's Array. When you want to read us the summary? Oh, 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 I'll do it. <laughs> uh, all right. Idiot's Array. Zeb bets and loses Chopper. To smuggler Lando Calrissian and a game of sabacc. 
forcing the Ghost crew to assist Lando with a dangerous smuggling run to get their droid back. However, during the smuggling run, Lando trades Hera to Crime Lord as Morrigan in exchange for a puffer pig, which can detect precious minerals for mining purposes, leaving Hera to escape in an escape pod. Humiliated, as Morrigan and his henchmen intercept the rebels on Lothal to take revenge, the crew successfully drive the gangsters away. The rebels part ways with Lando, though not before Chopper steals the fuel to Lando's ship, which the smuggler concedes as payment for their help. Lando Calrissian, played back. by Billy D. Williams, oh, yeah. and all yeah. his delightful sexiness. <laughs> I don't until we get um, uh, you know Donald Glover. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone could capture Lando, and and I, even now, like I think if it had been someone else's voice, even Glover's, I think it wouldn't have worked. I'm so happy they brought him back, and I love that they got Billy D. Williams. Yeah, because I just don't think anything else would have would have really nailed it that way. Yeah, I mean, I would have been fine with with um. Danny Glover? No. Donald Glover? Donald Glover. <laughs> Different person. Not Danny Glover. Um, but yeah, like this was pre-Solo, right? Yeah. And be careful yeah. what monkey paw you make your wish with. Oh, because dear. George Lucas you know, has been known to go back and edit voices. <laughs> yeah, true. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like Filoni wouldn't let yeah. him. But anyway. I, I just love this episode. To me... It's a nice kind of palate cleanser after the last one because it does some good world building, but it's also just so much fun, Mm -hmm. you know, compared to the heaviness of the last one. And even before we get Calrissian, I just wanted to kind of mention two little details we get. First of all, we're back in the same bar where uh, we saw Empire Day happen. So that's just kind of a nice little bit of world building that this is kind of the regular bar. And and we learn the name of the, the bartender, the guy who kind of runs the place, which is Joe. Uh, Joe, Joe. Yeah. Uh, and and it, he's an Ithorian, which is the race that um, used to is sometimes known as Hammerhead, but is established at least in the in the novels that are canon. I, I don't think it's ever been established on screen, but we're told that that's a very derogatory name, and they don't like it, so we should refer to them as Ithorian. Yeah, seems fair. I think don't we learn <laughs> Joe's name? Oh, maybe it's just because we had the subtitles on. Um, so for Empire Day, it said that Joe was talking. But I don't think we actually heard his name on screen. Never mind. Yeah. Okay. And of course, we hear even before we we learn that it's Calrissian, uh, we learn we know that they're playing Sabak, which is a nice little throwback as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, what did you all think when uh, you, we realized that Londo is the the smuggler who they they're going to get a job <laughs> from? Can only be trouble. Yeah, but like delightful <laughs> trouble, right? He's just such yeah. a, f- a fun character. And like you said, Matthew, like a real palate cleanser from the, the last episode. Like you just, you know, you're in for a good time. I think I would have been mm-hmm. equally as thrilled were it like Hondo Onaka, right? There are like yeah. a few people who could have been at that card game who I would have been like, oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, but Hondo wouldn't have flirted with everybody, including Chopper. Yeah, true. Well, yeah, because his one true love, Obi-Wan, wasn't there for him to flirt with. So, <laughs> But yeah, and I, and I appreciated the way they handled Londo's flirting in that he's, he's clearly flirting. It, it seems half the time he's flirting with them as much because he likes getting a rise out of the men who are kind of getting jealous over it, you know. And, and that's something actually in one of the novelizations uh, – or in the novelization of Empire – one thing they say is that like Londo seemed to enjoy flirting with Leia as much because he wants to twist Han's tail as as anything else. And 
you can just see he's taking so much delight in Kanan getting kind of jealous and upset and, and Ezra getting jealous and upset when he flirts with Sabine, which is also a, 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 it, to me, that scene especially is one of my favorites because he, he is flirting with her clearly, but he's also appreciating her. Like he's talking to her about her art in a way that no one else has. And, and it just drives Ezra crazy. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, hold, hold on. Just wait till the kids stop yelling. Hold on. Sorry. You're fine. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> but Ezra is also just a typical teenage boy. Yeah. And, and he acts that way in multiple episodes, but also here, where he mm-hmm. just doesn't know how to talk to Sabine about stuff. And then when he sees Lando talking to her in a way that gets her attention, he's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. What about like, me? I also said your art was good and pretty, <laughs> whereas, like, Lando's <laughs> referencing specific art history movements and, yeah, yeah, talking very critically about her art. Yeah. Yeah, I like that both Ezra and Kanan are clearly bothered by it and are clearly both jealous, but in very different ways. You mm-hmm. know, Ezra is an insecure teenager. Kanan, Kanan is an adult who's a little more cool about the situation, but he also has a much more established relationship with Hera, and he's clearly not thrilled about it. You know, there's a couple of great moments where both Ezra and Kanan make very clear that, you know, if Londo doesn't survive the mission, that's not a deal breaker for them. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, Kanan gets especially upset when Lando, like, unwittingly sells Hera to As Morgan as, like, a slave girl situation yeah yeah which i mean like to be fair i think i'd be quite pissed if that happened to my partner or mm-hmm. friend honestly yeah but then and, and it's been, I th- go ahead they have been communicating i mean he's like oh it's all part of the plan okay he says that but i think his like communication with Hera was like the four like lines he said while everyone was present right yeah yeah but, well, I, but, but i think that's she- the point is i think that kanan is upset and so Kanan isn't able to realize that he's speaking. Like, Hera picks up on the code that Lando is speaking to her in, yeah. but but Kanan is just mad, and so he misses all of it. But, like, <laughs> Lando also gives, like, no opportunity for Hera to say, like, no thanks, right? It's just like, here's the plan, bye! Like, take the escape pod, goodbye! I, I mean, I think, I think that's another part of Lando's character that we're supposed oh, to yeah. establish here. Because, especially because, like... As Morrigan is not a good person, clearly. He he owns slaves. He does terrible things. But Londo is straight up stealing from him here. Like, mm-hmm. Londo, if Londo wants his puffer pig, he could just pay the price of a puffer pig, if, assuming there's some price as Morrigan will take that isn't a slave. Um, but, like, it, it's kind of a funny thing because the show doesn't focus on it. But when you think about it, the whole thing is Londo, out, Londo trying to figure out a way to steal this pig so that he can do other things with it. Mm. Yeah, and like stealing the pig is also kind of a way to stealing the pig is also kind of a way to get around like the the imperial mining operations as well. It's like I can mm-hmm. just do it myself. Yeah, I also kind of briefly going back to Lando's flirting. I like that Lando also flirts heavily with Chopper, and yes, like, right? Isn't it just especially in the whole like they don't appreciate you? They. <laughs> Bet you like you're an object, right? Lando Lando wants to get with Chopper, and I want in on that fan fiction. I mean, we he flirted pretty... Ha- he was clearly in love, and the love was reciprocated with the uh, droid from the Solo movie, mm-hmm. whose name I don't remember. K2SO? Um, no. no. Yeah. L3. L3. Yes, K2SO was the other droid. Sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I kind of wonder if maybe when they were writing Solo, they remembered this bit and kind of like, yeah, let's let's play a little more with Londo and, and, and droids. Because yeah, at one point he says, you know, all the rest of them just give Chopper orders. And he says, all right, my little friend, would you like to be a hero? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one kind of cool thing about as Morrigan, um, the voice I recognized, and it's is played by James Hong, who's an actor who has been um, uh, pretty famous, or not, not pretty famous necessarily, but but you've definitely heard his voice in a hundred other things. He's been active since nineteen fifty. Yeah, he's been active since nineteen fifty four, um, uh, where he was in the Adventures of Charlie Chan. He was in uh, ha- Hawaii Five O. He's in Blade Runner. He's in Wayne's World. He's in. All kinds of things. Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. come on. <laughs> <laughs> you can't not mention Big Trouble in Little China. So if I, you... I mean, he's Mr. Ping in Kung Fu Panda, and he's in Avatar: The Last Airbender. If we want to oh. just like get all the but important things. David Lopan style. Is this yeah. what you're about to say? Yeah. The legendary performance as David Lopan mm-hmm. in Big Trouble in Little China is probably what he is. You you would most recognize him for. Like, I acknowledge that the Panda movies are more recent, but it's also voice (laughs) acting, so it's, Mm -hmm. you know, immediately connected with him. Mm. Um, If you were a fan of the TV show Seinfeld, he was the, uh, he was in the Chinese restaurant, where it's Seinfeld Party of Four. Yeah. He's the one that shouts that out. Yeah. Um, He's also... He's in everything. He's amazing, but you should 100% look up David Lopan style. I think if you just... Searching into YouTube, you get a delightful parody of Gangnam Style with James Hong doing the dance oh, and everything. Fantastic. It's amazing. That's fantastic. I'll definitely have and to look that up. And I would also like to add, like, very happily uh, that James Hong is finally going to get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh, yay. Hey, James oh, Hong. that's awesome. That's Which so apparently cool. is not, like, a thing people are just honored with because they're awesome. Like, you have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and um, I think uh, Daniel Day Kim, one of the current stars of the new Hawaii Five-O series, had to like start a GoFundMe to get this star made. What? So oh, good, God. good for him. Fantastic yeah. for James. But my whole like concept of what these stars are has kind of been smashed. <laughs> That's fair. That's <laughs> fair. Yeah, I always thought there was some sort of official committee that voted on it. You know? Yeah. Same as these. Yeah. That's disappointed so, no you can buy your way on there if you would like to get a star <laughs> from me then you want to start a gofundme for that we can do it no. we can do it um it, i also just got to take a moment to talk about what is now my, my what is now at the top of my rating of the cutest animal in star wars the pupper Ooh. pig um yep. which i was disappointed to well i was happy to learn that there is a toy you can buy Uh, from Disney parks, I'm disappointed to say it is ugly as hell and does not have any of the cuteness of this thing. It looks like a loaf of bread with a weird, like, thing at the end of it. It's a squeeze toy. I've seen them, IRL, before I knew what a puffer pig was. And it's like a little, like, doggy chew toy where you squeeze it and it makes the noise. But yeah, it's like rubber. It's not great. Excuse me? Cuter than the Porg? The Porg? I didn't like the Porg. (gasps) I did not like the Porg. Yeah, I mean, I like I like the puffer pig. I'm a puffer pig fan. For first, you hate on Hayden Christensen, <laughs> and now the porg. No, I'm sorry. The porg actually provided one of my favorite moments in Star Wars, which is when oh, Chewie ate Chewie them. Ate um, or when Chewie knocks them off the. Like, I like when they're being abused, oh but I don't like gosh. the porg for the most part. Oh, so sad. But but the puffer pig, like we should have gotten Paul in this episode. They are treated so well. Like they, I mean, okay. 
Hera kind of turns them into a bouncy ball, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like still, it feels like they're like they're just you know this crazy form of animal that does the thing like a puffer. It's basically a cross between a truffle hunting pig and a puffer fish, and it's just like absolutely adorable. Mm-hmm. Very cute. Not as cute as a loaf cat, but you know, still cute. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> And of course, at the end, we get, we find out that um, we get back into another battle, and we find out part of why uh, Ezra's lightsaber handle is so weird looking because it's also a blaster. Yeah, he's basically like turned something into a blaster and a lightsaber. Such a teenage thing to do. Such an inelegant weapon. Like, don't you really want now the moment where Obi Wan, like even if Ghost Obi Wan, learns about this because? You know, Obi-Wan is always like, you know, a blaster is not a good weapon for a Jedi. So for him to literally put a, a blaster into a lightsaber, I think would just, you know, blow blow Obi-Wan's mind. Yeah, no, yeah. it's so inelegant and random. Yeah, no, I, I, I like it. I think it's also very, like, innovative, very Ezra. It also doesn't look like a lightsaber, which I think is a big boon that he can just keep it right visually, like, on his belt at all times. And no one's going to be like, hey, wait a minute. Right. And well, Kate's nice... reaction is jealousy. Like, sure. Why does it yeah. do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a nice reminder, I think, because also Kanan didn't grow. Like, if you're a Padawan and from like age two, you never see blasters because everyone always has these glowing magic swords. Yeah, you probably never learned to use a blaster. But Ezra's been living off of his his blaster skills, among everything else, for years. So, mm-hmm. of course, and no one's ever told him they're random and inelegant and they're not a proper Jedi weapon. Uh, we've, he's seen Kanan use them pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. So it makes total sense that he just wouldn't have any of those negative feelings towards blasters that Jedi used to have. Yeah, I was definitely going to say, I think, like, there's huge value judgment from the Jedi towards blasters, right, that would definitely prevent them from ever shoving one in their lightsaber. But, right. yeah, Ezra, Ezra doesn't have any of those biases. Yeah. Yeah. You like it? Um, and so the last thing we get is that Chopper is so beloved of Londo and is such a big hero, but then Chopper winds up stealing some of uh, Londo's fuel. And there's just... To, to me, it's very much a kind of... Um, like you brought up, you'd have been just as happy with Hondo and Naka. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like Londo here is very much having a Hondo moment where he's like, okay, well, they pulled one over on me, but I kind of expected them to. And I guess that's fair because I kind of screwed them. So that was fun till we meet again. Yeah. Yeah. Like he says, you know, uh, he's, he's fully aware that they stole the fuel. Right. It's like, I know. Mm-hmm. I know they were going to do that. That's their payment. We're squaresies now. Yeah. yeah. Very Good cavalier. Stuff. Yeah. Good. Any other kind of last comments on that episode? I Are you calling him Londo because of the Han Han thing? I, no, I was going back and forth. I, I feel like there's there's some characters who call him Londo. I mean, but yeah, it's, La- it's Lando Calrissian. Yeah, but he calls, um, I mean, I think it's a, it's a great, because he calls Han Han. So right. Can, yeah, A plus. Anyway, that was my yeah. only question. I mean, we went through all the stuff about, like, people not always, you know, is it Omega? Is it Omega? <laughs> and, like, yeah, I, I think there's – to me, what they're kind of – or, you know, Princess Leah from General Tarkin. You know, yeah. I, I think we're kind of showing that these names, like, you know, either because of just people's different accents or because they're not paying attention as much as they should. Like, people get people's names wrong. Oh, yeah. No no, no slight. I just want to also, like, fend off internet yeah. comments. I'm probably also just not remembering. But no, no, no. It's actually – yeah. <laughs> It might be a little bit of a Stan Sebastian moment, but yeah, yeah also it's I, I think it's because I've heard both, you know? That's fair. Um Palpatine. 
Palpatine. Palpatine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> she palps, as we call him. Palps. Uh, Sarah, do you want to give us the summary of episode 12, Vision of Hope? Boy, do I. During lightsaber practice, Ezra has a fragmented vision of meeting Gaul Travis. Travis. Yeah. During lightsaber practice, Ezra has a fragmented vision of meeting Gal Travis, an exiled Imperial senator and rebel sympathizer, and assumes that Travis knows about his parents. The rebels receive a transmission from Travis, notifying them of a secret rally on Laval. But Ezra receives a tip from Zer Leon. No, 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 no. What's his name? Zer Leonis? Okay. Ezra receives a tip from Zer Leonis that Callus is planning to use the senator to lure the rebels into a trap. Following Travis's transmission, the rebels find him and save him from Kalos by escaping into Lothal's sewer system. To Ezra's dismay, Travis reveals himself to be an Imperial spy who's used his anti-Imperial transmissions to identify rebel sympathizers and claims that Ezra's parents are dead and gone. Having suspected his treachery, Hera outsmarts Travis and knocks him out so that the rebels can escape. Although disappointed by the betrayal, Ezra and the other rebels remain hopeful of their cause. So, I have to say... This is obviously an episode that we've all been super excited about, mm-hmm. uh, as as you can clearly tell by the fact that um, I've had to delete times when all three of us have spoiled this coming. Uh, we were discussing Whoops. earlier times of Travis. No, I did it too. But so yeah, now we're here. Let's talk about this. What what was it like realizing that Travis has actually been a spy this whole time? Yeah, I think knowing it and watching Hera's reaction was really interesting um, because you. <sighs> As soon as he like um, has, says, you know, we should surrender to the Imperials, they all they all meet up. Callus storms in. Travis's first reaction is like, "Oh, guys, we should surrender. We should one hundred percent surrender, guys. You guys, we should surrender." Has Hera gives him like a weird look, and then like there's another moment where Travis stalls so that the Imperials can catch up to him, and she's just like fully onto him, and mm-hmm. then he does the. Um, she she John McClane's it. There you go. Yeah. By giving him a weapon, like here, take this weapon to cover us. It's not mm-hmm. loaded. Except that Gal Travis does not do a bad German doing a bad American accent. Yeah. Like Die Hard. Oh wait 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 wait. You tell me about not properly honoring James Hong, and you are going to besmirch <laughs> Alan Rickman in his best part ever. I read about them in Dime Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but a, a, a delightful and wonderful British man who I love very, very much, R.I.P., doing right. a German accent, doing <laughs> an, an American accent, is like three layers deep. And yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's so well done, and I. You know, I admit I did not see it coming at all, and I, I, I thought I was, I really felt Ezra's impact, um, because of that, and and but then realized like, yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. Of course, that's the kind of thing the emperor would do. You know, we know that like, the CIA, the KGB, the Chinese Secret Service, like all of them did the, whatever the, the Chinese KGB type group is. It's definitely not the Secret Service. But you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they've all done things like this, like as ways to like smoke out rebels, and, you know, it's awful. But you just realize how well done it is, and. When you think about the fact that a lot of people were believing what Travis said and that his Senate broadcasts were stirring people up, it, it's kind of a very dangerous game the Empire is playing and that they're willing to build up more negative sentiment in order to see who acts on it and then, like, cut all those people off. Yeah, and Travis's explanation of, like, he can remain uh, hidden, he can remain in this this ruse, 
after luring people out is that like he lures them out, he gets people to track them, and then once he's gone, they all mysteriously have accidents. Mm-hmm. Right is is interesting, and we we also know that the empire has got other plans of like the, these. Um, like we saw when we first met the Inquisitor, um, with Barris Offie as her Padawan. What's her name? Oh, the Luminara. Jedi. Luminara. Thank you. Um, yeah, where they're like using her to lure in other Jedi. Right. This is just a way to lure in rebels. So it's like not surprising that it exists. Makes me wonder. What other sort of rebel lures the Empire's got out there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think it's very true. I also think there's a brilliance in what Hera does because mm. at first my thought was, why doesn't Hera like say it as soon as she she realizes it? And I think what's going on there, I mean, it, it builds dramatic tension for the episode, but also I think we're supposed to think that Hera knows that Ezra has to learn it for himself. Mm. That if Hera just says, no, Ezra, he's a spy, he won't believe it. And even even then, like, he doesn't believe it at first. Um, and so to me, th- that, that was my take on it, is that Hera knows that she has to really let Travis expose himself. Is, is that the read you got? I think also, like, for her own sake, right? If, if she just flat out accuses him of, like, being a spy, then there's a chance for him to backpedal out of it, right? Whereas if she lets him point a gun at them and like monologue about his evil plans yeah there's there's no no getting out of that mm-hmm. i think it's very true i also do i, I we have mentioned this when he came up before but he plays such a bigger role and has so much more to say now it's, it's worth mentioning uh he's voiced by brent spiner oh, who is doing yeah like you don't get it at first because i but the, i i had to kind of play it back a couple times and be like i that voice sounds familiar but it's very different oh. and then, yeah it's it's brent spiner the guy who played data in or the guy who played data in star trek next generation mm-hmm. yeah i i had no idea cool so cool brent thing there. great yeah and also wasn't he he was someone in uh also a prolific voice actor yeah 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 mm-hmm. There we go. I remember him in uh, Gargoyles. Yes. Because all yes, of the next gen go. people like did Gargoyles right after Next Generation went <laughs> off the air. Oh, really? Okay. That's <laughs> awesome. But yeah, that's neat. I had no idea that that was Data. Yeah. One other thing that is just kind of a, a heartbreaking irony, of course, is that you know Ezra has been told all this time to trust his feelings, trust his feelings. And here he does. He mm-hmm. has a genuine feeling that like he's going to meet up with the senator and everything's going to be great and he he actually has like force visions but it's a very like it's clearly been like a redacted force vision and that he sees things that are going to happen but absent context he completely misreads them and it's to me it's very believable but also just very it's got to be so hard in Ezra that he does try trusting his feelings and it's a total disaster yeah he needs a better editor for his visions <laughs> Because he sees Travis say, like, your parents were so brave. And then, like, dot, dot, dot in the in the real thing that happens. And foolish. Yeah. Have you guys, have either of you folks watched That's So Raven? No. I don't think I've ever heard of it. What? I have, right. I've heard of it, kids. <laughs> I'm Hello, not, fellow kids. Yeah. <laughs> Except it's not even kids. It's, like. 30-year-olds like me. Anyway, um, yeah, it was a show on, like, the Disney Channel starring Raven Simone, uh, where she could see the future, but it was very much like this. Like, she would only see 
tiny little chunks that seemed to imply one thing, but was just like a sliver that surrounding context mm-hmm. was actually completely yeah. into like the exact opposite, basically. And so this right. just felt like like that's so Ezra. Um, yeah. Cause like it, it was, it was strange in that, like, as soon as you started to see the visions, I, I had a, that's a Raven moment of like, Oh, this is the exact opposite yeah. of what's happening here. But also have, do we have any precedent of Jedi having visions of the future before? Yeah, yes. Luke. Luke. To me, to me, this, this is very intentional because in Empire, Luke has visions of the future, and they're not like weirdly edited, but he clearly like misunderstands them and and thinks or or <clears throat> not misunderstands them, but like he lets his feelings get away with him, and and he rushes to try and save them and just makes everything worse, and of course winds up fighting Vader before he's ready. So I I think that was a very intentional callback to that. Like you're trying like on Dagobah in the swamp. Yeah. Yeah, when he like realizes that his friends are going to be hurt at Bespin. Huh. Okay. In, okay. In the movie, we don't get to see it, but he describes it. He says like Han, Leia, City in the Clouds. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I guess I just never realized that that was a full fledged yeah vision. I mean, a- Anakin also had visions of Padme dying. All right. Yeah, I don't remember the prequels <laughs> very well at all. That's fair. Right. Okay. Thanks for yeah. letting me know. <laughs> what else about this episode was was interesting to you all? I mean, Chopper again, A plus, super great. Um, I, I love that. So they leave Chopper to kind of guard the door, and some troopers come by. They're like, "Is this guy one of ours?" Oh man, serial number is so busted. All right, guy, if you see anything, you let us know. Peace. And Chopper's just like wub wubbing with his little hands waving, and then mm-hmm. immediately gets to work on like destroying what the troopers have done. Um, yeah, I don't know. Chopper's just the best. He's so sassy. I love him so much. One thing I, I, I was picking this up both during the Lando ep. Now you got me in the I'm head sorry, head. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Both during the Lando, both during the Calrissian episode and during this episode, um, is that like with R2, he would beep in these ways and the audience, we would kind of get a sense of what he was saying, but also there's a sense of like, he is speaking a language and C-3PO can speak it. And the X-Wing computer translates it, or maybe Luke eventually learns it, but it is a language. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, I mean, Chopper may be speaking a language, but I feel like it. most of the time when people understand what he means, it's because they understand the tone of what he's saying and his hand gestures. And like, it, it's not a foreign language to be translated. It's just that they understand the noises and gestures he makes to, to be able to get his meaning. Well, I think like us as the audience, for sure. And I definitely think like Zeb, Ezra... Etc. I'm pretty sure Hera understands what he's saying, like word for word, though. Mm, that's possible. Like, I think a couple episodes back where she was talking, I think this is the one where like Chopper messes with them and they end up going, they lose fuel. Um, she's like talking to Chopper directly and like translates some things to Zeb. Oh yeah, that's right. That's yeah. correct. But yeah, yeah, it does seem like it's it's easier to pick up on what he's saying without having. Someone tell you word for word what it is, mm-hmm. which is delightful. Yeah. Uh, another kind of cool thing here is that um, when we saw the episode where Ezra infiltrated the academy for uh, Empire, uh, like Tie Fighter pilots, mm-hmm. uh, we met a couple of characters there, and we thought they might come back. And here, one of them does, uh, Zer Leonis, who was one of the friends Ezra made, who kind of helped Ezra escape and kind of sort of. I'm basically like committed treason against the empire, but stayed with the empire. 
uh, and we wondered how they'd pop up again. He's on Lothal, and he's Ezra's contact within the Empire, who kind of helps them figure out what's going on. And he's been promoted. Yeah. Yeah. And, but he also thinks Ezra's name is Dev Morgan still. Yeah. Which I feel like that's going to come back in a significant way because like Ezra gets ready to say, like, oh, that's not actually my name. And then, you know, troopers come up and interrupt them and he can never get that out. So I feel like that's yeah. going to play an important. Well, I think so. Callus still doesn't know Ezra's <laughs> name. Okay. Right? That's the thing. Does Callus know or is Callus just being like playing along and kind of being a dick about it? Um, because Callus calls him Jabba still because yeah, Ezra I told him his Jabba. name was Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't I don't remember specifically what's going to happen with that in the next few episodes, but I feel like the connection between Ezra and his parents as former dissidents uh, is going to come into play, mm-hmm. and like maybe Callus will make the connection finally at some point. No spoilers, because I don't specifically remember. I also don't specifically remember. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. Uh, but speaking of Callus, we do get a really nice scene of him talking about the Inquisitor and like we've been talking about how Callus and the Inquisitor are kind of not exactly in lockstep. And mm-hmm. here Callus is, you know, openly saying to to his troops, like, he thinks the Inquisitor is too focused on the Jedi and that they should be focused more on stopping the rebels. And it's just a nice way of showing, like, even within the Empire, it's not monolithic. You know, different people have different agendas and they're gonna come into conflict with each other. Yeah, yeah. He's he's also got that nice conversation with um Senator Tua that he's talking to. Mm-hmm. Um where, yeah, he's telling her, like, if we catch... Uh, Minister Tua. Minister Tua. She, she, she's not a senator. Yeah, listen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, where he's, like, telling her, you know, like, oh, we can catch... If we catch the rebels, then we'll catch the Jedi, too. We'll have a better chance of it, right? And But, yeah, I think it's very clear that, like, Callus is after the rebels, the Inquisitor is after the Jedi. Yeah. I feel like this is a little new, though. Uh, they cooperated much better during the Empire Day episode. I, I guess that's kind of what I'm saying is I, I feel like we've seen the seeds of that tension mm. up till now, but now we're actually seeing that like really growing. Because, yeah, this this is definitely a much more explicit naming of that tension and of Callus kind of really going, a, uh, you know, a different direction than we've seen before. Mm-hmm. Callus. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good at being so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other last comments on this episode or just kind of the, the, this whole trio of episodes? Um. Ezra is really, um, I, I, I like slash hate that Ezra is very enthralled that Sabine knows what he smells like and it's sewer. Um, <laughs> By Calvin Klein. <laughs> yeah, right. Like she's obviously poking fun at him when they're in the sewer. She's like, oh, this just smells like you. And he's like, oh, you know what I smell like? Yeah, oh my gosh. Notice me. Yeah. Yeah, well, I will definitely have thoughts on that, uh, the, the way that relationship develops when we get to the end of the season, mm-hmm. when we get to the end of the show. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's funny because a lot of times when we talked about the Clone Wars, we talked about how we really liked some of the arcs, and some of the one-off episodes were pretty good, some of them were pretty bad. These six episodes, the three we have now, and then the ones coming up, and, and also even the ones we had before of uh, Empire Day, I think are just kind of a great way of showing the different things Clone Wars uh, Rebels is doing well because mm-hmm. we have Empire Day and then the three we're going to do next week are end the season and it's a three-part arc. They're both great examples of arcs. To me, these are great examples of one-offs though because they're each one of them is a self-contained story and the story is quite interesting. 
But also, like, if you watch these three episodes out of order, you would be confused because there is sort of an ongoing story that the three of them are telling. Um, and, you know, I talk often about how I think Burn Notice is the gold standard of having the episode of the week that also has an uber plot. And, and to me right now, Rebels is just hitting that on all cylinders. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily know if you'd be confused, but I don't think you'd get as much out of it. I think, and I think that's what you're yeah. trying to say as well, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, yeah, you wouldn't want to watch this one before other ones that mention Gull Travis. Yeah, yeah. So they, they, they are continuing to sprinkle things in that get resolved mm-hmm. later on. Mm-hmm. Right. Or like seeing him use his lightsaber uh, blaster and then watching him make it later, you know? Yeah, or like straight up not have one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, um, it, yeah the episodes can stand on their own, but you get more out of them. It, but they're not so standalone that they don't reference each other, you know? Exactly. Yeah, even like the uh, the Lando one, like you were saying at the beginning, we get more interaction with, with Joe and just like seeing his Barbie belt. No, mm-hmm. okay. I have to sneeze. Sorry. Seeing... Okay. Even more interaction with Joe and just seeing them like hang out in his bar and learning more about that character. Right. The bar he built. I thought you said his Barbie belt. And yeah, I'm but very I, confused there. Sorry, I said bar he built, but then I was like trying to fend off a sneeze at the same time. <laughs> That's sorry. fair. I've been there. All right. Well, uh, I, I will let you get to your sneezing. So is there any of the last <laughs> comments well, any of us want to make about these episodes? Uh, well, then let's just kind of wrap up. And I would say um, for each of you, if you want to find your uh, your writings, your creations, uh, where should they look? Find me on Twitter at Wikipedia Go. Uh, you can find various arts that I do, um, including some stuff that might be nice as a little holiday presents. Uh, Etsy slash shop slash Hayashi Ceramics. Although I think there's some other non-ceramic things that will be on there in the future. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, yeah, definitely check all that stuff out, uh, especially as supply lines of other sources of gifts may be more in doubt. Uh, that, yeah. a, you know, support local businesses. And, uh, well, if you're not in California, it might not be a local business, but support small businesses. There you go. So yeah. we'll definitely do it that way. Of course, other small businesses you can support are the Ethical Panda family of podcasts. Um, I have this podcast. I have Superhero Ethics. I have the Marvel Movie Minute that I'm doing uh, a minute-by-minute breakdown of the movie Thor with. I'm often found on PandaVision or Binger's Assemble or other things on the Stranded Panda Podcast on the yeah, Stranded Panda Podcast Network. And of course, uh, the best way is if you want to support this podcast, some of the best things you can do is tell your friends about us, give us a five-star rating, and sign up for the Patreon. Um, this is an expensive podcast to make in terms of just like equipment and time and things like that. And um, if we I, I really want to make kind of a, an effort in the coming months to build up our Patreon and to Remind people about all the great free stuff you can get, or not free, but you know, by supporting us on Patreon, we get you get thanked in a number of ways, both uh, uh, words and material thanks. Um, so yeah, please check that out if you want to be a supporter. It'd be great. We can definitely use that. And, and if not Patreon, you know, again, talk about us. Uh, send the links to our to our episodes. Ask questions on the Facebook page or on Twitter to get conversations going. Let more people know. It's the best way you can help. So, uh, and of course, send us your feedback. You can send that to theethicalpanda.com theethicalpanda at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook at The Ethical Panda and I realize I've been giving you bad information you can also find us on Twitter at ethicalpanda77 The Ethical Panda was too long for a, a <laughs> handle so I had to go with ethicalpanda77 so check that out uh, give us your feedback we'd love to hear it and most importantly have a good day Chopper <laughs> There you go